Hey, what's up? It's your boy, Health Coach Lou, and you're listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. You're going to hear conversations from health professionals from around the world. We discuss mindset, diet, exercise, and that latest in health technology. Let's go. Hello, everybody, and thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I got a great guest in the building, not new to the podcast, was the very first uh, guest that I ever interviewed, but we became friends, have a great friendship now, and I have Matthew Moore, health coach, um, TEDx speaker, advocate for preventative care. Yes. Yeah, man. Hey, thank you for being on the podcast again. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure, man. I know uh, we always tend to have these conversations anyway, so we might as well just record it. While we we're might as well it. record it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So for those, right. of, for those, you know, you know, Matt, for those who um, didn't catch the last or the first episode and um, they're just now getting to know you, just kind of give us a brief, you know, introduction to yourself, you know, um, and how you became a health coach and you know, kind of fill us in on who you are. Uh, so I'm a health coach with a healthcare network over in New York. Uh, we are part of Ascension, which is, I think, now the second largest network in the country. Um, second or third, maybe I'm lying. I'm not sure now. Um, and the model of health coaching that I'm currently doing, I made up, which is my, uh, my 15 minutes of fame. I get to brag about that because there's not much else to brag about. So absolutely. <laughs> so made it up, brought it to the boss, and they said, sure, go ahead and try it. So it's been a few years since then. We've got data to show that this is one of the most effective treatments that we have in healthcare. And it's, uh, it's really cool. And I've been what I thought was kind of paving the way for this new thing until I met you. It turns out there's a whole bunch of us out there. doing. This <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really funny. So like, <laughs> it's really funny because, you know, when the way I met you was I was looking for other health coaches. I actually, I think I told you the story. I've been um, actually wanting to do one of my goals is to do a TEDx, right? Is do a speech. I went on YouTube, searched health coach TEDx talks. You were the first one to pop up. Ooh. Yeah, right. And I'm like, <laughs> this is this is great. I really I agree with almost every almost with everything that you were talking about. And I just how let you on LinkedIn see what you know just to kind of connect you know what I mean just to say hey I want to connect with other health coaches um you know kind of get your advice on you know speaking and it just kind of went from there um and it's 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 great to see what I will say is yes you have your own style um but primary care health coaching the way we do it is not very common you know th- there are I mean there yeah. health coaching is a wide range like like we we've talked about this before. You could have a great success story of weight loss and want to share that story with everybody else, not necessarily have, you know, any certifications or degrees, but you can call yourself a health coach. Yep. Right? But, you know, what we're doing within a clinical setting as the primary care health coach, um I even know here where I am at um the health coaches in other uh, healthcare settings are not really doing what me and my colleague at where I work at are doing. Not, I mean, I, I don't, they don't have, I can guarantee you, they're not really yeah. doing a whole lot of what they're doing. 
coaches in my facility that I work with are we're doing completely different jobs. There's 10 of us. I'm the only one that's doing health coaching. But the the label, the way it was originally kind of had come out, at least in our um our healthcare ministry, is it was used as kind of this fill-in. So they wanted the position, the job description to be vague enough that if they needed a person to do a thing and they're interacting with patients, but they're technically non-clinical, call them health coach. Sweet. Right. Bill. But now it's it's legit and we got to start doing something about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it's, it's legit. And there, and I know there are a lot of companies out there that are really pushing that. You know what I mean? They're really pushing to make it a yeah. legitimate thing. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what happens. We're, you know, we're on the, we're on the front lines of this, man. We're, we're doing our own thing. But yeah. um, that leads to the the topic at hand, right? You know, we we're talking, we talk a lot about what we do as health coaches in primary care settings, which is primarily preventative care, preventative services, trying to get those people who either are pre-diabetic um, to not cross over to that diabetic diagnosis, or if they are yeah. already type two diabetic. Um, either help them manage it or reverse that, you know, or wh- whatever the case may be in, in diabetes is just one example. There are, there are many other, you know, cardiovascular diseases that we work with and we're trying to, you know, prevent. Um, but with the, the way that, you know, our healthcare system is set up, it almost, it's almost kind of an uphill battle. Would you agree with that? Or what, what is your, what's your thought? On this? Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> I'm going to try to choose my words a little bit carefully with that. Obviously, uh, we both work in healthcare, so um, absolutely. I'm coming from a place of strong cultural distrust, <clears throat> right? My relatives, people I've looked up to my whole life, all don't particularly trust healthcare. Now that I'm working in healthcare, I've learned a lot of what they don't trust is true, and a lot that is not true. I'm able to kind of fill in the gaps, but ultimately, um, the the system we have now as healthcare, it's, I know it's kind of vague, um, but it sucks. It totally sucks. You know, we talk about health metrics all the time, right? You yep. can look up anything on the CDC. Everything's getting worse. It's all getting worse. Everybody's getting sicker. Um, life expectancy's going down. Like everything's worse, but. Right. We have more healthcare jobs. There's more money going into it. People are talking about it more. What's going wrong? Right. It, it should be with how much money we're, we are putting into healthcare. You would think, logic would tell you that we would, if you looked at our numbers compared to the, the rest of the world, yeah. just look at the number that how much money we're putting into healthcare. Someone who didn't live here would be like, man, America is super healthy. <laughs> Like you would think. Right. We all got to be living to 150 with those numbers. But that's not the case. Right. You no. Know, so like what's, what is going on? Like what is the issue that we are spending so much money, putting so much money into this thing, but people are getting, like you said, sicker and not as healthy as we were before. And, you know, the life expectancy is going down. And um, it's, it's funny because just to uh, kind of, um, kind of going on your point about you had family that didn't really trust the healthcare system. Just there is a, there is an issue within the African-American community where African-American, older African-American people 
will not go to the hospital. Like there is no yeah. trust there at all. And you gotta, you have to wonder, because like you said, there are some things that are true and there are a lot of things that are not true. I work with great providers that do their best for their, do the best they can for the patients that they serve. Um, but with how much money we're putting into healthcare, one, where is it going? And, you know, and, and two, you know, what, where can we allocate for more preventative services to help these, these communities and, you know, different areas to really improve their health. Yeah. And we talk about prevention all the time, right? Right. You, you and I live in this space where it's all about prevention. We've got to be preventing these things, focusing on prevention. But we, we encounter all of these behavior change paradigms. And there's obviously this, this cultural element to it, right? Yep. People won't go to the doctor when they're old and dying. You think they're going to go and talk to somebody like you and I about you know, <laughs> fruits and vegetables? Yeah, about <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. So I've put a lot of thought into this and I have a theory that I want to um, talk out with you because it's not the same when you're in your own head and you're super biased. Right. I think that the, the biggest obstacle we're facing with those health metrics and the money that's going into it and not really helping a lot comes back to our culture, right? Our values as a culture, but you can't just change those things. We can fight it and talk about prevention as much as we want, but we're just putting out a house fire with the garden hose. Right. So we got to look even further back and peel back more and more layers to what has caused that. And my ultimate theory is what it comes back to is provider burnout. Mm. We have healthcare providers that are these, these people, like I've got some friends that are providers. They are light years smarter than I am. It's, it's crazy to think that there are groups of people that are that freaking smart. They're, they're so intelligent. And they care more about helping other people than anybody else on the planet. Right. It's amazing. They're, they're really incredible people. But they're, they're put in this position where they're, they're doing a lot of work that is not at the top of their license. So what I mean mm. by that is you have MDs that like 25, even less percent of their time is spent doing MD stuff, right? Yep. The rest of it's on the phone with insurance companies. And a big part of it is for their one time of patient spent, spent hitting and begging people to do different stuff so they can have better health outcomes. And with it, provider burnout in general is obviously an issue. Everybody's pretty familiar with it. And it comes from a lot of different angles. But ultimately what's happening, and what's shifting culture, in my opinion, is that when providers start to get burned out on those things, they prescribe medications more quickly. The more medication that gets prescribed, the lower the self-efficacy of the population becomes. So if um, if you've got somebody with hypertension, right. we're looking at a, a mass population of people with hypertension, right? Right. And right. the first 10% of them go to this new provider and the provider's um, diet and exercise, try this, try this, come back in a couple of weeks. Okay, no, try this, try this, come back in a couple of weeks. Over time, as that provider gets pressured more and more and more, they're spending, I think the average is seven minutes now 
per patient. It's how much time we get face to face. They only have seven minutes to treat that patient, right? So they become more, more and more quick to get the results of improving that person's blood pressure. If those people are struggling to change and the coaching isn't working because they only see them every few months, then they're going to go to that medication. The medication works. It's a, it's freaking amazing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever had hypertension and like taking lysinopril, it just fixes the problem. Right. right. So it, it kind of becomes the norm. And now a generation or two later, when I went to the doctor with hypertension, they were like, Oh, take this. And I was like, Oh, that's how you fix it. Cool. I'm on my way. And that's just how it was treated. We never talked about anything else. So my now self-efficacy, my perceived ability to have an effect on that is gone. Because mm. my, my autonomy is gone. I go to the doctor, right. he fixes it for me. So that, my, that's my whole theory in a nutshell, right? We've got this provider burnout. It's got this trickle-down effect on our culture. And so this prevention that we keep working on is just, it's not freaking working yet. <laughs> right. And you know what, you know, what else I, I think too, I agree with what you're saying as well. And there, there's, there's two, there's two thoughts I have about this. One is that people in general, and I'm actually doing this, uh, um, I'm actually speaking about this, um, but not pertaining to, uh, you know, medications, but pertaining to diet and exercise. But in this situation or the example of hypertension or whatever the case may be, people want the quickest route to solve their problem. Now, it could have been for for some people, not all, not all, but for some, most people, the issue happened when they when they, they started a, a sedentary lifestyle, started eating eating wrong, or not, are not being mindful of their diet. Next, next thing you know, you know their their blood pressure is shooting up, and now they now they have hypertension, and now they're like, okay, fix it now. I want it fixed now. I want the next day. I want my blood pressure being one twenty over eighty every day tomorrow. But <clears> even though I spent years sitting on my butt, eating out every day, not doing anything, but I want you to fix it tomorrow. Yep. Right. So I think that is one, that's one issue that we got to deal with too, is that we have this, this microwave society where we want things to, we want things done quickly, even though they took years, months, years to accumulate. Yep. Um, the other thing is, is where I believe that um, providers, even they are, they're burnt out and they, they, you know, there's this team, you need, you need to be part of a team. That's why health coaches are so important to me, I believe. You have that one patient. You, you can only give that one patient so much when you have hundreds of patients. You're, you know what I mean? Like right. you can only say the same thing so much when you're only seeing them every, th- every quarter or every month or whatever the case may be. And then when you can just, you know, say, hey, I want you to see a health coach or my health, however you word it a part of your care team where I can reach out to that person and connect with them weekly, monthly or biweekly yeah. or whatever, and, and do that behavior change. So by the next time you see them, you see a change or maybe, maybe there's not a drastic change, but it's better than you, the doctor or the provider telling them, 
um, we're just going to increase your, your medic, your medication. Cause it's not working. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's probably ultimately the source of at least my own frustration when it comes to this, the, the lack of buy-in mm-hmm. is we, we know just, just through, just observationally that having a health coach as a physician support service allows that physician to practice at the top of their license more of the time. So if you want to be a business person and run this hospital, then you want those providers practicing at the top of their license all the time, right? Right. Therefore, you need the supporting services. So let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And it seems so easy, Matt. But, you know, what do you what do you think? But why, why, why are we still having this conversation? What do you think needs to change for the, you know, the, the C-suite to understand the importance? And some of them do. I mean, obviously, you know, you're, you know, the people said, hey, hey, Matt, let's, let's do this form of health coaching. You know, I have a provider, I have, you know, an employer that says, hey, we don't know what health coaches do. You do, do that. And so I'm able to do that. So we, there are some people that believe in it. But how can we make it a widespread where it's it's not just a well, I think it works, but to like, hey, let's these these we need more health coaches a part of care teams. The money. The money has to mm-hmm. be there. You know, um, like what, what we were talking about before, before you what, what inspired you to push the record button there, right? So yes. these these hospital networks are a business. If they're not a business first, then they don't survive. So I respect the fact that it's a business. Because that's you know, gives me my land. That's my life. I want them to be well. Right. So, in order for them to be a business, they need to follow the money. So we need to prove that it is fiscally advantageous for health coaches to be on staff. Now, we can talk about it all the time. I do talk about it all the time, and uh, I'm fortunate enough that my direct report is one of the VPs in my network. So she's able to educate me a lot on some of the, the, the nuances of what, it, what administrative policies are really like when it comes to running healthcare. It's, um, I like to think I'm a pretty smart guy, but it's way over my head. <laughs> I don't know how they do what they do. But ultimately, we have to prove the money is there. And I think there's, there's a few different routes to do that, but it's hard to do, you know, Gathering the data, I think, has to come first. So I've got a bunch of great data. It's largely observational, though, uh, from our pre-diabetes patients, our uncontrolled type 2 diabetes patients, and our weight management patients. So those are the BMI over 35 mm-hmm. or over 40 comorbidities. comorbidities. With the, the pre-diabetes patients, it's like 85% of them saw a reduction in their A1C. We reversed their A1C plan, just working with a health coach. Cool, but we can't prove that there wasn't other things happening. So everyone says, great. Obviously, what you're doing is valuable, but it's not, it's not there's, there's no finances tied in there. We need right. to prove that they're going to be saving money. So we could like take CDC data. You know, so it costs, um, last I looked, it costs just under 10 grand a year to treat somebody with diabetes one person a year mm-hmm. so if a health coach has so like the, my model has like about 150 patient caseload maximum 
if we're like at 80%, then we're looking at what, like 110, 115 of those people preventing diabetes for at least one year times 10,000, that's over a million dollars. So, but it's speculative. We, we need the money to go into their pocket first. So we, we can, we can play with the numbers, but it's, I'm, I'm not sure what the exact answer is. Maybe we need a statistician on board. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tricky, right? Because how can you, because people want to see the ROI, like they want to yeah. see that savings in their account, not like the, the invisible savings where it's like, Hey, I prevented this. Right. If I, if I wouldn't have had that, if I would, if you wouldn't have had the interaction with that diabetic, their, the probability of them going to the ER goes up, which increases, you know, you know what I mean? Like that, that, and, but you can't really see that. Like, that's not really, you can't really see it. Right. And in my, in my humble opinion, I, Hey, I'm, I am just, you know, I'm just a health coach trying to do my part. Um, I understand that the ROI is important and the financial aspect of it, of it is important. Right. I, I get that 100%. Um, but as a human being, it shouldn't, not everything should be about, well, what's the, what's, what kind of money am I getting from this? Oh, like yeah. we are, we are a hospital, right? Like we work at, we work at a hospital. The whole point of a hospital is to keep people healthy, yep. not keep people healthy if they can pay or if it makes us money. Not everything. I just don't agree that everything should be tied to a financial, um, out, you know, goal. And yeah. you know I mean, like there are just some things that that shouldn't. And but in, in the world that we live in, it is. So, you know, being realistic, I get it. Like it is what it is, but you can bring on every you know statistician in the world. If we're save if we're saving one person from going to the ER, to me, that's 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 a savings. Yeah. You know, for sure. like, that's and a it's a, that's a real savings, though. Yeah. So, you know, if if you just look at a health coach's salary. I think the average nationwide is like 60 grand a year, mm-hmm. which is way higher than I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's, that, that's preventing diabetes in six people for one year, mm-hmm. six people, right? How many people are you interacting with a day? Oh my God. One more than six. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So like the, the numbers are there, but to, to front that cost to say, okay, cool. I'm going to pay for the salaries for five health coaches for the next five years. Where's that money going to come from? They need to find it in the existing budget somewhere. So what we're doing now is looking at grants, which I don't know if you know this, but there was a pandemic recently. (laughs) (laughs) And there are no grants. Pandemic. (laughs) There's no money. Right. Nobody's giving free money. Nothing. So we're we're in kind of a weird spot. Uh, I'd love to be like, okay, here's the solution I'm offering that will satisfy everybody's pockets. But ultimately, what I'm getting at here is the people behind the big debts need to stick up. What's right? Right. Mm-hmm. 
it's very obvious that what you and I are doing is saving people's lives and saving millions and millions of dollars in healthcare costs. Absolutely. We don't need the money to come first, right? You know, the money's going to come. That's what investing is. Absolutely. Right. We've got the data now. So invest, man. But the yeah. one about is absolutely. And you know what? A, a part of me believes is, and we kind of touched on it earlier in the in the podcast is that due to the fact that health coaching is pretty much unregulated right now, the term health coaching, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and people don't really know, like they don't really understand because because of the fact that somebody, and full disclaimer, if you've had because this is going to sound like I always got to say this because it sounds like I'm bashing somebody for wanting to encourage other people to lose weight. This is not what I'm doing. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that. But for to an example, if my son was sick and I, and I gave him some medicine and um, the next day he felt better, I couldn't call myself a pediatrician. You see what I'm saying? Like I couldn't do that. But but anyway, like I couldn't say I got a hundred percent success rate though. <laughs> <laughs> I could I couldn't do that. But because of that, I can I can kind of understand people being like, well, what what is a health coach? Because my friend down the street says he's a health coach, but he's just trying to sell me this advocate pre-workout. Is that what you do? Like like and it's like, well, no, that's not what I do. So there's so much confusion around the term health coach that I can see why somebody higher up can be like, well, why would I pay for this? We don't even know right. what it actually is. So it needs to be defined a little bit better what it is. That's why I, on everything, I say I am a primary care health coach, right? Yeah. Just I have to have that distinction because anybody can say they're a health coach and because they've, they fixed some issue in their life. Yeah. And that's not, that is great. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for them. People I'm happy for them. I, you know, I enjoy their conversation. I'm happy that they've been able to find something that they have purpose in. Yeah. But you know, there has to be some, can you call yourself something else? A little more things difficult for for your brain. So um, there, there's a lot of providers, I think, uh, a lot of administrators, too, that don't buy into it because I don't think they fully understand what behavior change looks like. Yep. Right? So you know that that thing's bad for you and being overweight is going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. So don't be overweight anymore. Okay? <laughs> so they're just they're kind of just giving the information, right? right? And we're just educating people over and over and over again on the same basic things. Obviously, the information is not the problem, right? right. Look at what we're doing. How many, how many thousands of miles are we apart right now? Yeah. yeah we've never even met in person before. <laughs> right? Clearly, there's a lot of connection, right? We have all of the information. Yep, so absolutely. If, um, if I've antagonized enough and I've got, if there's anybody still listening out there that works in healthcare, behavior change ultimately breaks down. There, there's a lot of different models and theories. But ultimately, in a nutshell, for somebody to change, there needs to be, there's two parts to it. There's a perceived threat and their perceived ability to make a change. Right. Right. The threat is based off of two things in itself. 
your susceptibility to a thing and the seriousness of it. Absolutely. If, if something's particularly susceptible to you, um, I'm prone to heart disease, right? That's right. going to be an issue for me my whole life. But if I don't think it's serious at all, the whole thing falls apart. Right. So educating me on how to like, you know, telling me to eat less red meat or some nonsense like that isn't going to make me change the way I behave. Right. The other side of that is your ability to change, right? The benefits. So will this change actually benefit me and the barriers? And that's where things get ugly, right? So there, we've got these four components. So if you're a provider and you really want to have an effective conversation with somebody and have them change their life, you need to cover all four of those bases. It's not just about the information. Right. Increased knowledge does not equal behavior change. Yes. For it goodness sakes. <laughs> right. If we can, if I can just have somebody in my office and say, who's diabetic and be like, Hey, if you don't change, you're going to die. Like it, I wouldn't have a job anymore. That'd be pretty easy. I can knock right. out, you know, but that people know, like you said, people know, people yeah. know what's going on in their body for the I'll most part. You know what I mean? For, for, for the most part, I mean, there are some health, you know, individuals, you know, I work with a lot of different patients with different ranges of health literacy. So there are some people who don't know what's going on in their body, but right. for the most part, you know, if you were to tell somebody that they have a chronic disease, they logically know that that doesn't mean a good thing. Right. Like something bad could happen. Yeah. So if, if knowing that and they're still not changing, then we all obviously know that the more, more increased knowledge of it doesn't mean anything. The behavior change is a, is a different process, yep. a longer process. And that comes to that efficacy too. Yes. So if previously in that person's life or generationally, their self-efficacy and their autonomy has been removed by those lightning fast prescriptions that you can sign off on, then they're going to have a lot of barriers to make that change. So what I'm getting at here is all you MDs, all you healthcare administrators, hire a professional. <laughs> hire a behavior change professional. This is complicated. Yeah, it is. I think it's just the hire someone that knows what they're doing and you have faith that it's going to work. Because that's, yeah. what, that's what preventative care is about, right? It's about right. having the faith that you have the right people in place that is going to come, it's going to be okay. Like it's yeah. going to, it's going to work out and right. The healthcare team, right. For us to a be healthcare a team, team. we got to trust each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, something that I, I also think is with, with the healthcare and the healthcare model and, you know, in the, the value-based model that's is, is here. Right. I think it's more important to understand. I think a lot of places are not really taking it, taking, um, into consideration how important it is to have to have a team like it's just not the provider anymore because yeah. before it was it was just the provider like it was provider did everything and i think to be that provider you have to have a certain kind of mentality and in that mentality which is a great mentality to have when you're a provider but working as a team can be kind of challenging for them at sometimes like you, you know it, it can be it can be a challenge so getting that provider to understand that you do add a value and not only add value, but you can take some of the, the tedious work off of their plate 
You know what I mean? Like I was, I had a conversation with the provider last week, you know, talking about, I do a lot of our annual wellness visits and she was like, thank you for doing this part. I I hate doing that part. And I'm like, well, I love doing the parts you hate to do because I know if I'm (laughs) providing value for the provider, they don't have to worry about that. You know what I mean? That's what we're here for. Physician support service. Absolutely. So that you can spend more time practicing at the top of your license. I can do the coaching. You do the doctoring. I'll do the coaching. (laughs) Everybody's happy. Everybody (laughs) is, is happy. Everybody's happy. Where do you see if, if, if you were to, you know, kind of Thanos healthcare and, and snap it all away, how would you, how would you recreate that foundation of healthcare in, in your eyes? How, how would healthcare, what would healthcare look like? No, it's a big That's question. A cool question. <laughs> so in like, in like a fantasy version, right? So if yeah. I could rebuild it. From if you can up, rebuild the foundation of healthcare. If I could rebuild it, I think, um, where it would start is healthcare facilities. So like you think about your little primary care that's in town, right? Whatever, wherever town there is, there's little primary care sites. Mm -hmm. I think those sites rather than be a place to go to the doctor should be community hubs, right? That's where town hall is at. That's where the farmer's market is at. Mm. That's where the gym is at. It's a, it's a place of quality of life first. So there, there's an element of culture. There's an element of living well. And it's, it's tying all of those things together long before anybody is sick, right? We're still going to get sick. <laughs> it's still going to happen. Right. Yep. But ima- imagine if, um, I'll use myself as an example. If I had known when I was a child that I had a gluten intolerance, I would have probably lived a much more quality life for those several decades before finding out the hard way. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And if, if we are living in that space, rather than educating somebody, rather than just giving them the information and them doing what they want with it, doing as they please and letting culture kind of form on its own based on all sorts of other values, if that was the hub of our communities, then we would be able to connect that the quality of life that we're living is our choices. The choice you make is the quality in your life, right? And if that wasn't, um, if that wasn't like a thing that was like, oh, wow, that's an interesting perspective. If that was just the way you lived your life, I think healthcare would look tremendously different from there on up. Dude. You touched on something that I have thought about for years, at least ever since I've been in the healthcare setting, is why don't patients have access to a fitness facility within the hospital mm. to, to use and to be prescribed? Like, right, like if, you, if you have, if a provider has someone who has knee pain, they refer them to physical therapy, right? And then physical therapy does their thing. Why is it that if someone is obviously obese and had, you know, is, has that disease of obesity, they can't be referred to a personal trainer or someone within the healthcare facility to train them like, or to, to help them lose that weight or to be that hub. Like you were saying, 
Like that is such an interesting idea of having a hub, especially in, you know, we've been discussing social determinants of health. That's the question I have for you, but I'm going to make this thought real quick or kind of go through this thought real quick. You know, with social determinants of health, um, there are issues where people don't have access to certain things. So having access to that hub within their community where they can reach out to a provider or they can get their, you know, be physically active and do those things that um, will improve their life, improve their health is... (sighs) Uh, I, I just, is this a dream? Like, it, it just, it just sounds, it just sounds great. But that, that leads to my next question, Matt, is, you know, how much of this, you know, we, we've been kind of getting that healthcare <laughs> for, you know, for the past 40 minutes, rightfully so. Yeah. But how much of this is um, on the person as well? I mean, I know we talk about social, like social determinants of health, right? Like there are, there are things outside of, health that healthcare can't control right like their healthcare can't control where somebody lives uh, the healthcare system can't control how somebody eats outside of once they come into the healthcare system and their provider or the health coach says you need to do x y and z or whatever once they leave it's up to them to do that what yeah. can we do to improve those outcomes um when when there are things that the healthcare system really can't control, like they can't control how somebody, what some, where somebody lives or where they work or the safety of their environment. Those are things that are, that, you know, that we are now starting to learn that we do have to take into consideration. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a good question. And if I'm on a social determinants of health was always something I was a little bit weary of uh, because I am, <laughs> full disclosure, I've had a sweet life. <laughs> right. And, I have, I have a big family that loves me. I was, everything was like paid for. I always said my biggest problems in life are having too much food. Oh my God. How dare you? Right. You know, <laughs> we, we actually talked about that on the last podcast we did. So um, uh, I'm, I'm extremely blessed. So a lot of this is coming uh, just from observation. I don't, mm-hmm. want, I don't want anyone to think that I'm like talking about a term. Uh, ultimately there's, there's kind of two sides, right? There's our culture. So the things that we're valuing in general, if if you're valuing things uh, as superior to your well-being and your quality of life, then your well-being and your quality of life just aren't to thrive. So, uh, I, I was a, a recreational therapist for a lot of kids in this at-risk, you call them at-risk youth, right? Mm-hmm. So what, what we had found, what I noticed most with those kids is they just plain didn't give a damn. They had right. way more important things to worry about, like not getting jumped when they left the building. Absolutely. Right? Like the, the cops kicking in their door and taking their uncle away yeah. again. That's real. Yeah. They, real. So so for me to go and be like, oh, yeah, maybe a second helping of spaghetti isn't a good idea. This kid's like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm eating again. Right. That's so real. That's real. So there there's a lot there that I don't have an answer to. Um, but we need to be involved then we, we need people at least they're thinking about it. That's the word involved. I think mm. where healthcare 
where some healthcare systems drop the ball. Cause I don't, I'm not speaking for, I don't work in every healthcare system. So, I mean, I can't, and I know where I work, you know, it was, it's encouraged for us to be out into, into the community. So I know at Broadlawns Medical Center, I had um, a pediatric weight management program that I took to the schools and I was able to do it. Yeah. At school. So they, like, it was really, um, and that was encouraged. So I, I, I can only speak for where I'm at, but I know for the most part, um, it's not really like that. And there needs to be for healthcare to really, if the, if they want to improve things, in my opinion, preventative services, health, health coaches, things like that need to be a priority, but you also need to be in it, be more active in the community that you, that you are placed. Oh, right? yeah. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. We've been, um, th- that's something that, I've noticed too, um, even in our community, <clears throat> which luckily uh, our CEO, our administrators love it. They've given me a green light on every wacky idea I've had <laughs> when it comes to getting out in the community. So like pre-COVID, ugh, yeah, I said that. Yeah, COVID. <laughs> Before COVID, BC, BC I, yeah. used to, I used to host these events where I would just try to get lots of people into, um, you know, the a parking lot of the school and we'd have all these providers and games and stuff like that. And there's, I think in doing that, in getting involved, you need to stop trying to educate people. It's important. There's enough. We're doing it already. We don't need more education. We need to work on those values. We need to get to give it. Now they don't care. Don't care about vegetables because they don't have money to buy vegetables. Yeah, so there's there's a lot there, um, but like like what we were just saying a second ago. Ultimately, we got to get out and figure it out as we go. But the only way to find out what to do is to get out and start. Right, and right now with with the pandemic, I know things are easier said than done. But there are things that maybe we we can do, and that may take some you know brainstorming, some people to you know figure out how they can do that within their community, but you know, and there are a lot of, you know, organizations, I think partnering more is, is beneficial. Like there are a lot of organizations in the community that maybe help with food assistance that um, the hospitals need to be partnering with. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I've, I've done this one time. I've had one successful time where I, I, I and I'm gonna start talking about this more on LinkedIn. because I think it's very important. And it's, you know, health coaches need, they need, we need, we need more outside community tools in our tool belt outside of the behavior change methods that we use. Yeah. So give you, give you an example. I, I, this is a, this is a, a true story. I had a patient in my office. We're talking about um, her diet. We're talking about her diet, how, how things are going. This was like, we, we had, I had built a pretty good rapport with her. This is probably like our, you know, I've been seeing her by like three months at this point. And um, she was telling me how her, her diet has not been the best the past month. And she, she was eating a lot more ramen noodles and they weren't eating a lot of, you know, food or a lot of fruits and vegetables. They're trying to get as much best as they can. But she had said that her, her um, husband had just lost his job. And they were trying to find a new apartment because the apartment they were in was too expensive. 
And probably a couple weeks ago, I found this really cool website. I'll send you the link to it. I forgot the name of it. It was through the Amer American Physicians of America Association, something like that. But it was like a neighborhood. It was like a neighborhood tool where you put in the zip code and it will give you all of the resources within that area that are available. So there was rent assistance, food assistance, all these different organizations and churches that provided these certain services. So I was able to connect her with the organization that helped with rent assistance. So until they can find a new apartment, they can get help with their, with their rent. So they, she didn't have that stress on her or, and then she was able to get, um, uh, you know, food assistance as well, or go to a different certain food pantry that had fruits and vegetables, had, you know, better options than just like canned fruit and heavy syrup or canned, you know, things like that. We're able to get some of those resources. And at that point, it wasn't about her weight, right? Like at that point, it was about, okay, we, how can I help you here? And having those outside services was super beneficial. You know what I mean? And, and it was just, it was a lot of those things that, um, that you don't want, you don't learn in school. You don't, you, you got to have those outside tools because if she was just saying, Hey, I'm just eating ramen noodles and, you know, not eating vegetables. If one, if we didn't have that rapport and she didn't feel comfortable to tell me that about her family situation, I probably just would have just, we just would have kept talking about the importance of, you know, eating, eating better, how she can, you know, eat less ramen noodles. I wouldn't have known that they right. were, a financial, a financial piece to this, you know? So yeah. um, that stuff is important to have those, those tools that if, if there is something that somebody needs, you can give, you can give them that resource. I, I think that kind of comes full circle though, uh, because it's not, it's, it's much bigger than just treating that particular issue. Yep. Because from, from that person's perspective, if, they're hooked up with a resource and they see that that's a part of their community. Mm -hmm. What my community cares about impacts what I care about. Absolutely. What my community values are the things that I value. So if I start to see that my community cares about the food that I'm eating, maybe I should care a little bit more. So if, if ultimately we want to address the culture here then I suppose one of the best things we can do right now is to get out and start making those connections Absolutely. and start creating that community where people do give a damn. People are caring and working on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it, you got to start somewhere, right? You got you to yeah. start somewhere. And it starts with getting out in, into the community for, for sure. For sure. I've got a sweet idea of how we can do that now during covid uh we're actually starting it today's monday so we're starting it next week on thanksgiving week social media videos right so mm -hmm. your your company i'm assuming the hospital you work at the network probably has a social media of some sort absolutely we have facebook and an instagram so rather than post pictures of you know somebody holding a candle and saying go to your primary care doctor everyone's sliding right by that. Yeah. Right. We're going to start putting out a video every week of I'm just doing like selfie style videos and talking to people real quick about this is my routine. This is why I do it. 
you should try it like this, try it like this. And just starting to have the conversation, right? Right. It's not going to change anybody's life right away, but it's going to make them think about it for at least a second. And if they think about it for that one second, maybe they'll be a little bit more mindful the next time they make choice relative to what we talk about. Right. And, and if they build, start seeing it weekly, it may not be that yep. first video that may, that gets them to trigger that change. It may be the fifth one, you know, or, or, yep. the, or the seventh one. But as long as it's consistency and they're seeing that their, their community is caring, like you said, their community is caring enough to post these things right. or what they can do during this time. Um, yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. It's powerful. So, we should all be doing something like that. If there's anybody listening and wondering what the heck they can do, because you can't have any community events right now, fire up that social media. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Matt, hey, man, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Mm. Um, for those that want to connect with you and learn more about you, where can they? I know you're not the uh, the king of social media. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just got done talking about how important social he is uh, i don't actually have him so <laughs> is there an email or somewhere that someone could uh you know connect with you if they if they wanted to yes you, you can find me on linkedin that's that's probably a pretty easy way to get at me um otherwise first name dot last name the number one at ascension.org is my email address you shoot me an email um, this is obviously something I love to geek out about. So perfect, perfect. And you're up be careful to if you don't have a whole bunch of time. <laughs> yeah, and you're up to speaking engagements and you do you like to do stuff like that as well. So maybe somebody can yeah. want to speak about health and you know things like in health coaching and improving communities. Yeah, so that's that's definitely one of my greatest passions. A big milestone was the TEDx talk. So if you just want to see a, a sample of me yapping about all this stuff, check out the TED Talk. That's from YouTube. <laughs> Absolutely. And what's the title of that TED Talk? Finding Wellness in Healthcare. Finding Wellness in Healthcare. That's great. That's great. Well, Matt, again, hey, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Everyone, thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I'll see you next time.